0: Or Whatever Movies with
1: Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother, Wesley. What up, Wes? What up? And today we are talking The Painter and the Thief, a 2020 documentary available now on Hulu. The Painter and the Thief starts with one of the best nonfiction cold opens I think I've ever seen. All visual storytelling establishing Barbara as the painter and then using surveillance footage and I think news footage to establish the stealing of her two paintings.
0: And director Benjamin Ree that is what he had at his disposal. It was a static camera, right? It was something that either Barbara or her friend had set up that caught the entire painting experience through several days or months and outfits and uh, just kind of time lapsed it in a loose way. And then they had the actual surveillance of the actual crime, which was very lucky because the director, Benjamin Ree, hadn't come on the scene yet. He didn't show up until after the court proceedings and after Barbara and Carl Bertil, or Bertil as we will refer to him, because that's how he is referred to by Barbara and others, had met several times, four times, in fact. Prior
1: to Benjamin Ree's involvement?
0: Right. And thankfully, they had audio from the court after the court proceedings when Barbara approached Bertil. And so he had some footage to work with before he came in with his documentary crew.
1: The surveillance footage was also lucky in the sense that it helped identify the criminals and prosecute them. Yep. And
0: about that prosecution, was it strange that the lady called uh, Barbara and said, oh, we got those criminals, but I don't know, no paintings, but case closed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe it wasn't quite sympathetic to what might be of
0: most interest to Barbara, but good for storytelling. So we priced the paintings, and I don't know how those paintings were valued or assessed. She wasn't exactly the highest profile artist in Norway, but any other goods, they would attempt to recover them. They would, in fact, hold some people right until they gave up information or they ascertained what happened to this stolen property. It's not like you stole that car and we caught you and we don't know where that car is, but good luck in life. How would they let Bertil and the other guy go without ever having recovered the property that they stole? It came from an art gallery and the art gallery is insured, but the painter lost her property. It was on loan for the exhibit and she had to approach him and be like, hey... Can I talk to you? Can we hang out and have coffee and maybe I can sketch you or paint you sometime? And he was like, all right. You can repay me in free modeling work. Right. Which was a concession on his part and on her part. But still, he was free and, you know, doing whatever Norwegians do in terms of (laughs) there's no restitution. It was about uh,
1: there are other ways to settle damages. I mean, maybe she received some kind of settlement, but also who knows? Maybe the law works differently in Norway.
0: Yeah. I feel like a lot of things work differently in Norway that at times confounded my understanding of this movie, specifically Barbara's method of painting the swan song painting who paints from the center radiating outwards in complete detail like that. Don't you? I mean, we saw her later sketch out some of her pieces before she committed to oil on canvas. It's like, I'm going to paint this bird, and then I'm going to build out from there as I go. It's like Mozart, never, like the painting is finished in her head, and she she <laughs> just goes for it and never makes a mistake. I mean, I guess you can cover over it, but.
1: Yeah, I was going to say oil is like a pretty forgiving, yielding medium, right? Like you can paint over it. I mean, case in point, she literally paints out Bertil's girlfriend.
0: Yes, in a bizarre 11th hour reveal. But yeah, I've never held a paintbrush in that way, so yeah.
1: But it's true that she, not only does she kind of conceive of the entirety of her art in her mind, but it almost seemed to me like she had an idea of what her relationship with Carl Bertil could look like as well.
0: She had no possible way of knowing who this person was. He admitted that he was totally gacked out, so much so that he couldn't remember what he did with the painting. In fact, I don't think the other painting, the, uh, the two girls, was ever recovered. At least that was never established, and everything I could find didn't clarify that. But it was surprising to me in the first place that she would, A, approach Bertil after the court proceedings, and B, that her boyfriend would encourage it. Because she did mention that he suggested reaching out to the thief. And then spent the rest of the movie saying, what you're doing is dangerous. What you're doing is potentially damaging and I have a right to be concerned about it. He definitely didn't know what the potential for their relationship would be.
1: Absolutely. Oystein did warn, right at the top, don't push him too much. But it's clear early on that with Barbara, and like Carl Bertil says in his letter, that art is so much more than painting, and this was art extending into her life, into her real life, into her friendship with Bertil. So when their first meeting, when she's sketching him when he's sitting on the couch and she lets him know that he's been sentenced to being her free model she's like what happened and he's like how can you understand a junkie and i think that that there are so many central questions to this film and i think that is one of them it is admittedly a very dangerous pursuit
0: She said she didn't understand exactly why she had to, but admitted to her boyfriend that it was likely some form of love at first sight. And that came to be more realized uh, by the end of the film. But I don't feel like she had any clue. And maybe that would be why she didn't have any reservations as her boyfriend did. But I felt like it was pretty seat of your pants, artistic whimsy, irresponsible. Like I was continually waiting for the other shoe to drop for the cat and mouse game to truly begin and to determine which was the cat and which was the mouse. She was in a dangerous position by allowing a criminal and a, and a druggie into her house to hang out in sketch and have coffee and stuff. But then I began to wonder if she was angling and positioning herself because she had an agenda that in his drugged out state he couldn't possibly perceive the scope of. You know, I was like, is she playing the long game? Is she conning him? Is her angle to recover the painting? Which she also insists that was never the intention. She never set out to befriend him in the hopes of retrieving the painting so that she could then dump him and say this was a ruse. Now that I got my stuff back, you can piss off.
1: Her extending the olive branch of friendship in the courtroom was an extension of her art itself. She saw eye-to-eye with Bertil as an artist. And every encounter, it seemed, confirmed that they met eye-to-eye, that they had some similar intrinsic artist sensibility. It seemed her art really extended to almost every area of her life, although maybe not as much into her relationship with her boyfriend, which was kind of the source of the tension between the two of them the tension that mounts as she gets closer to and spends more time with Carl Bertil.
0: I mean, for me, he was the voice. He was my own misgivings being voiced to her. And thus, I feel like the boyfriend represented some of the audience's viewpoint, although I'm not sure.
1: I think so. He's reasonable. He's practical. She's, I agree, she throws a little bit of caution to the wind. It's a dangerous pursuit to befriend a junkie that you don't know anything about, you know, a friendship that is based on a crime that affects both of them mutually. And there's some drama there, and there's some conflict there between her and her boyfriend. Really, this documentary captures lightning in a bottle in terms of human connections, because this one is a beautiful one, but it could have gone very badly.
0: When she goes to his apartment, it was not what I expected at all, where he has original prints or where he has original artworks in his home and the first pair of shoes that he ever wore and decoration. And she said, I love when people have art on their walls where their walls aren't bare and things are in frame. And he has more things in frame on his wall than I've ever had in on all my walls combined. So I did not expect him to be as artistically deep or creatively deep or receptive as he was, I'm not sure she ever had. I mean, I guess from the basis that he stole artwork and risked his freedom to take stuff off the wall and painstakingly removed 200 nails or whatever, maybe she had some some inclination. But their simple assignment of their roles, the painter and the thief, were deceptive because of how deep we got into their lives where after he went to prison, he seemed to be flourishing and took time for self-introspection and got in shape. And sobered up and grew a beard. Actually, it was never established that he sobered up, but I imagine it's pretty hard to be strung out in prison. Whereas during that time, Barbara lapsed into her feelings of doubt and brought up the feelings of her abusive ex-boyfriend and the fact that she was broke and didn't have it all together as the person we initially saw her to be.
1: An accomplished artist with a gallery show.
0: Right. Uh, Who has everything going for her and bright red lipstick and wine and and a cigarette. And and then all of a sudden she was the starving, struggling artist who didn't seem in as good a position as he was. And it definitely spoke to their pre-existing lives where he was once a potential BMX champion and the fact that he was training to be a nurse. Whereas she came from an abusive situation And didn't have a lot going for her, wasn't an established artist and kind of went into her bubble, ignoring all the advice to the contrary when it came to letting potentially dangerous people into that bubble.
1: So not quite what they seemed on the surface or at the outset, maybe more kindred spirits
0: Yeah, ultimately, and obviously that continues to be the case. They still have a relationship, but they both embrace their role. She had her artist haircut and her artist boots and her continual cigarette. And he had his honor among thieves neck tattoo and the fat people are hard to kidnap shirt and the crime pays shirt. You know, it was very easy (laughs) to plug him into that role and to not ever let him wiggle out of it, which he continually did.
1: Yeah, it's like, how much do we choose our roles? How much do we choose our our archetypes?
0: And he became so vulnerable, and the roles were reversed. Did you suspect her motivation that she was playing him to get her painting back? It had to have been the motivation, I felt. No, you're so
1: distrusting. Why are you all pessimistic and distrustful?
0: So it was just about life and people and connections.
1: It was curiosity. It was an artistic sensibility. I I mean I kind of summed it up to be an artistic whim and maybe her intuition seeing something in Bertil.
0: All these sentiments echoed by Benjamin Reed the director and uh it is a whimsical measured glimpse into two lives which seem ordinary I guess in a way are extraordinary but this film came out of 3 years of following. The the progress of which can be traced no better than on the face of Bertil himself, who looks unrecognizable, who goes from a skinny, <laughs> stringy junkie to like an Avenger or a Norwegian Viking or something. He looks so healthy. Yeah, not only is he healthy, after nearly dying, it didn't look like he was going to walk again. and. Now, if you see him, he's he's all buff and has more face tattoos. And that little patch of hair keeps growing smaller and smaller on the top of his head.
1: His physical transformation is pretty crazy.
0: Benjamin had stated that he followed his subjects for three years for a total of 300 hours of footage uh, over 100 shooting days. I mean, that's that's Apollo 11 level footage to go through.
1: Apollo 11 level commitment.
0: Yeah. And this film was originally intended to be a 10-minute Norwegian web series, and it became more than that. But I didn't know what would become of their relationship and what that would mean for the film. What did it ultimately become?
1: So obviously you thought that that was important. I mean, what did you think? There was going to be some kind of culmination to their relationship? Aren't relationships just these linear, unending things? Right. And
0: obviously their paths ended up being congruent, but I didn't know what they added to each other's lives. It was pretty clear from his love letter that he very quickly established her as being a valuable asset to his life. He adores her and she's given him so much and she definitely seemed to draw something from him that she wasn't getting in the same way from her boyfriend. And so I did see their relationship as being a work in progress, but I didn't know to what it would culminate. And I was a little bit afraid because I was like, I hope they don't hook up because that would be weird. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe they did. Well, she does have a self-destructive streak. She definitely is, and hopefully through no fault of her own, attracted to a bad element. And I felt that her attraction to him was inexplicable until I understood what her relationship past had been like. It wasn't the same thing. She did use the word love, however. So at the end, her painting, which is her, which is her art, which is her everything, which is her bubble, represented the two of them in undeniable intimacy where they both had partners, but she was naked on top of him in the painting at the end. And that seemed to be a confirmation or an acceptance or an allowance of their connection, at least in her mind, what she would want it to be or what she could allow it to be on the canvas.
1: You're such a pragmatist. This would have been completely offensive to you as the
0: boyfriend, right? Do you totally relate to Oystein? I have a really hard time with opening the door to what Bertil could have been, could have meant for her life. He was right, I believe. It could have been very destructive. It was certainly very dangerous. And she was just like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just followed. I did a thing and it was what I felt I should do. And I didn't give. No, you're supposed to give thought to it. You're supposed to be wary. You're supposed to be careful because otherwise things come to pass that you don't expect that the boyfriend certainly expected and dreaded and was worried about. I don't know if they're still together, but that girlfriend that Bertil stole her car, she certainly disappeared from the picture. I don't know what happened to the other girlfriend, but his connection with Barbara is undeniable. I think that some of the most
1: important redemptions involve risk. Like in Les Mis, where the priest invites Jean Valjean to stay and he gets clobbered over the the eye with a candelabra or whatever. (laughs) I mean, you know, young missionary kid going to Peru and befriending a
0: former prisoner. Yeah, this whole thing may be a simulation in The Matrix where they're keeping you alive right now because that guy killed you on the rooftop and they're trying to keep your body and your mind alive until they can cure a rusty knife wound.
1: I think that that story deserves a little bit of context.
0: No, we don't have time for that. All right. But I I don't like that I was on the boyfriend's side because he came across as nagging, right? Why are you trying to stand in the way of this beautiful connection that I have with this random drug guy? And so that was hard for me. Well, he's not
1: like... It's not like the boyfriend's the villain. You understand, he's so reasonable the entire
0: time. Yes, but she also didn't heed anything he was saying. She persisted in her, in her relationship, which is fine, but then when she revealed to Bertil that she was in contact with the other guy, which was glossed over pretty much entirely, that was just a footnote, then she went to Mafia Dude's apartment by herself <laughs> and, and like broke into his storeroom or something. And was like, Mm -hmm. dude, my painting, and pulled it and then walked off with it. (laughs) That was the Gossamer Condor moment of the film, I thought. Did you say Gossamer
1: Condor? Yeah, do you know that movie?
0: That one you're going to have to explain to me.
1: The movie would have still been satisfying had she not ever recovered her painting. But the fact that she does is so fortuitous. In The Gossamer Condor, which is a short doc that won the Oscar many, many years ago, the scientist dude enters this competition to create a human propelled flying machine. And it's like betting on a horse race. The filmmaker chose this subject for whatever reason. And who knows what the odds would have been that he would win this competition, but he does. And that's when luck plays a part in you telling your story. Like, there's no way that Anybody, including Barbara, could have banked on the fact that she would find her painting. And and that she does, I think, takes this film to a completely other level, even if finding it wasn't essential to this story being ultimately satisfying on a human level.
0: Well, we obviously wanted her to recover it. But did you feel that even though that wasn't the initial objective, supposedly, that this movie ended up in a satisfying place? because I wasn't sure how to feel when the credits rolled. It seemed like we didn't get an establishment of Bertil's progress other than the fact that he had passed this exam and was doing okay, but Barbara never achieved a claim she is going to be more notorious for this movie than for her artwork, like Marla Olmstead was in My Kid Could Paint That. But she seems to remain the struggling artist, who I will concede is very talented, And Carl Bertil will get his notoriety for having appeared in this movie. And beyond that, I'm not really sure because this movie isn't about her art. It isn't about the recovery of her art. It's about their relationship as evidenced in her final painting. And so I could not help but ask throughout the course of this movie and afterwards, because the roles shifted and because It didn't go where I was expecting. And because there were the twists and turns like prison, which I thought was an inevitability from the beginning, although he was not really sentenced for the crime, but rather for stealing and wrecking the car and her sort of downturn into self-doubt and financial trouble. Because all those things changed so much from my initial perception of them in their respective roles as the painter and the thief, I kept asking why. The dreaded why that we've discussed before. What was the director Benjamin Ree hoping to achieve? Because he admitted that he didn't know where it was going to go. And in the end, I'm not sure he knows where it did go. I'm not sure if Barbara's painting is as evocative of a theme or a resolution as it seems to suggest to me that it should be. When the credits rolled, I said, I asked myself why. What were we supposed to take from it? Was it just a luxuriant exploration of a human relationship? And are white people afforded that luxury of having (laughs) movies be about, I don't know. I mean, this was the documentary white people equivalent of If Beale Street Could Talk, where it was beautiful and compelling, but why? (laughs) This,
1: (laughs) why? The enduring question. This movie operates on two levels. The narrative thrust is these two pieces of art get stolen and it gets wrapped up when those pieces of art are found. And then the other level is the human connection level, which is firmly established and culminated in the painting. Doesn't mean that the human connection, the relationship doesn't supersede that painting or go well beyond it, but that's the button that we hit at the end of the movie for the two of them. And it felt satisfying. I mean, how do you sum up art, which is ultimately what the theme, the why of this movie might be? I mean, I keep on going back to this thought that art is so much more than painting, which I think is what Bertil says verbatim in his letter. Is this a white person movie? I can see why You would think that, given our previous conversations on Defy Bloods, The Banker, Brittany Runs a Marathon, but this... (laughs) And maybe I'm speaking from a white-privileged sensibility, even though I'm not white, that this feels like a very universal story. And maybe for an American audience specifically, there are some exotic elements, you know, a Czech artist working in Norway, there's some... European exoticness to it, but it's just so profoundly human. I can't imagine that this isn't universal for at least a first world experience.
0: Yeah, as undeniably human and strong and evocative in tone and composition as her paintings are, obviously has something to say, not always sure what the artist's intention is, what we should take from it, and if what we take from it is the same thing as what the artist is trying to say. Art is definitely subjective, it moves you or it doesn't, and the universally regarded art pieces as being well done. As this movie is apparently universally regarded, at one point it was touted as having 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, those pieces have their real fixtures, and while it may be hard to pin down what that importance is, they exist in our hearts and minds. As part of culture, did it work for you? Did it appeal to you? I, so I've been struggling because I definitely like some art, but especially when it comes to abstract art, I suspect that a lot of art is a hustle. You say, I like this piece. What does it mean? And the artist would reply between drags on the cigarette, Well, what does it mean to you? Which I think is a hustle in that it doesn't actually mean anything. You feel a thing. You ascribe importance to that feeling. And you channel those feelings onto the canvas where other people might not feel the same thing. And so I'm worried that, as uh, Dennis Leary said in the Thomas Crown Affair, art is actually just swirls of paint that are only really important to a very small number of people. Did I like this movie? I was compelled to watch it all the way through. I'm not sure if I liked it. I'm on the fence because I disapproved of the artistic whimsy and license that would allow her to approach someone who's bad news. You can't just decide that your life is more beautiful than it is safe and go down a road that's untested because it's romantic.
1: It is very romantic. So if you removed yourself from, if you tried to remove yourself from your judgment, of her behavior how would that change what you think of it
0: good movies take us to a place that we wouldn't ordinarily have gone they show us new things i would not have gone where she did to explore this relationship especially to this level But in doing so, she did uncover something that was unexpected for me, that was revelatory, and that she was not who she was established to be at the beginning, and certainly, nor was he. I'm not sure how long these roles will last or how they will serve these two people moving forward, but it was an unexpected uncovering of a real relationship of some substance. And therefore, the movie was all right. I struggled with a degree of wariness that I attribute to documentaries that are unclear in their thrust.
1: It's an all right with the disclaimer, girls and boys don't talk to strangers, especially if they're criminals.
0: Right, Especially if they're established as criminals, if that is the w- reason they've been introduced <laughs> That's to your the part life. part that
1: you take umbrage with.
0: They have to be established criminals. Right. But also he cri- he crimed, he criminaled against her specifically. He was her criminal. <laughs> she was his victim. And they were like, Now let's see where it goes. Tough for me. It's an alright movie. Did you cry when he cried? Not remotely. And granted, that was a very powerful scene. And I thought that was disarming because we didn't see that side of him yet. We hadn't glimpsed the person he was. And I would have been okay never to have glimpsed that person, at least for me personally. I'm glad the movie went there. But I was still suspicious and skeptical because I typed them. I, I put them in a box and it was hard for me to open that box again.
1: It was so hard to not read into what he was experiencing it could have been so many things, but regardless, it was beautiful. And I thought it was a really good demonstration as well that Barbara's approach to their relationship was not unboundaried. It might have been irresponsible. It might have been dangerous. But when he pushed her away,
0: she was like, no, you don't do that to me. Yeah, you do. They aren't. <laughs> they aren't buddies. So like, well, had, had they cried and hugged prior
1: to that? Well, we don't know. I mean, in terms of narrative storytelling, I allowed that all of that detail in their relation, their budding relationship may have been omitted. I'm not really sure in the actual timeline of their relationship when that happened. Obviously, enough time had passed for her to have painted the thing. But it was um, it was good. She she had enough. Self-respect to say that you can't treat me that way, especially in this context in my own home yeah. after showing you something like
0: this. The scene was definitely good. And it's, it's what everybody asks him about when he appears on the q and As reluctantly. But does that good apply not only to that scene, but to the, the entire movie for you? Is that your official rating?
1: My official rating of The Painter and the Thief is good. It worked for me on multiple levels. It was very moving And, you know, maybe it's just obvious that I relate more to the painter and you relate to the thief. I mean, to the boyfriend. (laughs) Okay. so there you got it. And all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our talk on the painter and the thief now available on Hulu. I'll be surprised we don't see it early next year during award season.
0: If that happens.
1: If there are ever any award shows again, we'd love to know what you think. If you've seen this beautiful little indie ditty. 818-835-0473 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.
0: Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie on.
1: And I'm Eden Alpert.
0: And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast Unapologetically Fab.
1: Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it.
0: We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and live in a life by your own design.
1: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
0: This is Unapologetically Fab,
1: an Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Electric, Est. Electric, Est.
0: Electric, Est. Electric, Est. Electric Est. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound
1: Wellbeing